This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the program where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. From all their assorted subsidiaries, they own, I think, 70% of the movie studios in Hollywood now. It's, you've got Lucasfilm, you've got Marvel, you've got Hollywood Pictures, you've got Pixar, you've got Touchstone, you've got everything. Uh, Disney Toon Studios, we, we talk about it all here on the Disney Film Project podcast. And that is because we love the movies. I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with folks about to be introduced to you, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find all kinds of information about the latest Blu-rays and DVDs coming out from Walt Disney Studios and all their assorted uh, subsidiaries, which I just named. Uh, You can also read about former shorts and cartoons and all the old feature films, so make sure you go and check out all the great great content there, uh, including the show notes for this very show over at DisneyFilmProject.com. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who you can find as the Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGo in MCO.com. And I believe through the mysteries of time travel, perhaps was responsible for some of the events in today's film. So you know the gun that Johnny Depp used that they bought in Connecticut? I actually went back in time, got that. Sold that to the guy in Connecticut who then the movie company bought it from. I knew it. I knew it. I knew, I knew you were responsible in some way, shape, or form, Todd. I knew that was the case. All right. Also joining us, we have our fine producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at Cheryl P3. You can find her at about.me slash Cheryl P3. She's the person that that makes this podcast go. She keeps the trains running on time. Uh, however, she doesn't. She had no interest in watching today's movie, is what I understand. That is correct. I will say I did not watch this movie. I I, I was willing, ready, and able. When, Todd, when we were, like, I saved a night, made sure we had this free night. And Todd's like, ah, I don't need to see it again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you you may be the only person left on the planet who hasn't seen it. Me and probably, I'm guessing, up, up a couple, three. Me and me, me, Malcolm and Zinn. I'm sure Malcolm and Zinn have not seen it. <laughs> All right, so today we are talking about – so we've earlier on the program, we have done Todd's favorite movie, which was? Oh, The Incredibles. Uh, we have done Cheryl's favorite movie, which was? My favorite Disney movie. Ooh, good question. I thought it was Happiest Millionaire. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> it is, uh, oh, until I found out it was all fake, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so today we are doing my favorite Disney film, and that would be the first in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. And joining me to gush over the movie uh, is Miss Betsy Bates, who you can also find over at OnTheGoInMCO.com. Good friend, big fan of the show, big fan of your work, Betsy. Welcome aboard. Hey, 
thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me back. I love uh, listening to you guys, and it's always fun to jump in and have fun and be a part of the action. Especially when talking about what I think we can all agree is the greatest film ever made. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Definitely in my top five all-time films. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is not just my favorite Disney film. It's, this is my favorite film of, of, of any films. Not because I can say it's the best film of any film, uh, but it, it is the one I enjoy the most. You know, th- this one and Avengers and then throw Wizard of Oz and Casablanca in there and you've got pretty much my, my steady rotation of, of films that I like to watch. But yeah, this is, this is definitely my favorite Disney film, be- mainly because of Mr. Johnny Depp, but there, there's other elements as well. So Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the first in what would spawn a franchise of films with the fifth one coming out in 2015, just like apparently every other uh, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, seriously, have you guys looked at the schedule for 2015 yet? Yeah, the slate's <laughs> pretty crazy. Not even counting the, the other movies which are scheduled for 2014, which, which we're, we're estimating we will actually be 2015. Yeah, Charles yeah. was talking about the Warner movies, the DC movie, the comics movies that I I can't see how movies that aren't in production yet are being released in 2014. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that for sure. <laughs> but yes, so Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl, directed by Gore Verbinski, starring the aforementioned Johnny Depp, uh, Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, Jack Davenport, Jonathan Price, you know, and a cast of thousands. It was one of those films, and I don't know if you guys remember, take, take the Wayback Machine to 10 years ago in 2003 when this came out. It was one of those films that had Twitter existed back then, had anything else, uh, you know, in, any other social media been quite as prevalent as it is today. People would have been bashing this movie for a year before it ever came out. Fair to say? Well, you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it because it was a ride-based movie, and ride-based yes. movies had not been successful. Yeah, the only one to this point had been Country Bears, right? And then Haunted Mansion came out, I believe, that same year in October. Uh, maybe, yeah, and but I mean, Howard, how are we direct to DVD? Yeah, also not very successful. But yes, it was based on a ride and starring a. At that point, relatively unknown cast, with the exception of Depp and, and Rush. Orlando Bloom had just started peaking from the Lord of the Rings movies. Kira Knightley had only been in Bend It Like Beckham. So this was, this was a, a, a definite gamble by the studio. Gore Verbinski had, at that point, best known for directing The Ring, as well as Mouse Hunt. So there was, there was, some, there was some reason for the apprehension, to be sure. Mouse Hunt. Yes, Mouse Hunt with I, Nathan I did, Lane. I did want to point out that Keira Knightley had also been in all of Star Wars Phantom Menace. But had that – oh, that's right. That's right. She had. But she – but nobody knew it was her. No, because no. I mean, she, was, <laughs> she was not credited and then she was added to the credits at some point. So Right. Good point. I also so want she, to point out that apparently for IMDb um, that Mackenzie Crook collects um, Star, Wars, Star Wars figurines. Oh yeah, oh, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's one of the two guys. Yeah, he no, he he actually he is a comedian, and I think part of his comedian act is uh, talking about his Star Wars collection. Is that the yeah. guy that plays Rigetti? Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, he, there, there's all kinds of great character actors in this, which is, if you, if you listen to the commentaries on the original DVD that came out, like I have a few times, you will, you will hear that one of the things that, this, that Gore Verbinski and the writers, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, wanted to get back to in this was that they wanted this to feel like an old-fashioned Hollywood epic, that, that they had thought that, that had kind of gotten away from, from Hollywood and that everything was so focused on the inner characters, right, like the main characters of the film, that what had been lost in Hollywood was the great turns by some of the character actors in side roles. So in this one, you get Rigetti and Pintel, you get the, the British soldiers who do little, little turns, you get Gibbs, you get you know Jack Davenport's portrayal as Norrington, all kinds of these side roles that are important to the story but aren't necessarily starring roles. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they were very successful in reinstituting that. Absolutely, and, I think they did a fantastic job with the supporting cast. Yep, and and just to compare to a future Verbinski Depp production, I think that could have been one of the things that was missing from Lone Ranger. Yeah, it seemed like it was primarily, I mean, like, they could have fleshed out, like, the red character and brought her more to the forefront. Because from the trailer, you think she's in, you know, Helena Bonham Carter's character, you think she's in, you know, a good portion of the movie. And she was in, what, maybe five minutes of the whole thing? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So they could have definitely had more supporting characters. Because a lot of time, it did pretty much seem, you know, the two of them and then, you know, the two bad guys. And that was primarily it. But yeah. I do, but I did find it. I don't know if you grabbed that because of what Johnny Depp had said. Ryan is that Johnny Depp basically said what you said in an interview recently. I I did not, but I I you know Johnny Depp and I we share <laughs> you know, you, all the time. <laughs> you talk because um Johnny Depp said the exact same thing that he believes Lone Ranger didn't do as well. Because of the critics, and the critics got the word out, and people listened to the critics on social media, and that's and that's what killed 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 um, the Lone Ranger. Yeah, I agree with him. I agree with him wholeheartedly. And the difference being that this movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, if you look at the box office, it opened the weekend after July 4th. So July 4th was on a weekend in 2003. It was a Friday. And the movie opened on July 11th. And it did a respectable you know, 46th. It opened like midweek, I think, and did around $46 million that first weekend. But it just stuck around. So it ended up domestic grossing $305 million, uh, and the production budget on this one was much lower than the, the future film, so it was only $140 million. So basically Disney doubled their money because the movie just stuck around. I mean, it kept making money week after week after week um, and topping the box office for the, you know, the rest of the summer, or it would hang in the top ten. I mean, it was pulling in over a million dollars a week well into October, which in the day of Hollywood blockbusters is... Uh, nobody, nobody does that anymore. But yeah, so it became and it became one of Disney's first big uh, overseas successes too. It made six hundred fifty-four million worldwide, uh, largely because of the fact that there were so many British actors in it that people knew from from the BBC series. So like Jack Davenport uh, and Jonathan Price, and you know those guys, as well as all the character actors on the side, were all from from British television. Cool. 
Todd doesn't know what to say because he's afraid Betsy and I are just going to sit here and gush all all day. <laughs> I have a lot to add at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious, though. I, I wanted to ask before we get started talking about the the, the actual plot of the movie and those sorts of things. Um, you know, was this one like for me? Like I, it was one of those things where it was a an after a holiday afternoon, and I decided just to go see the movie. Um, not really because I wanted to, because I wanted to go, see, but just basically because I wanted to go see a movie, uh, and came out of it loving it. What What were you guys' impressions when you went to see it the first time, or when you saw it the first time, and like then coming out of it? I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was, to be honest. I am ashamed to say I never saw it in the theater. I don't know what was happening in the year of two thousand three where I was not on board with whatever was going on. It wasn't until 2004, because I don't think it came out on DVD until, like, I think it came out in December. Um, I want to say it was 2004. I borrowed it from a friend, and I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I see this in the theater? This is amazing. I loved it, and I went out and immediately bought it, and then subsequently bought the two-disc collector's set. So I, you know, I don't know where I was at that point. That summer, I was, you know, on vacation or something, but I uh, missed the boat literally and figuratively on this one. Talking about missing the boat literally and figuratively, if, and this is not good, I'll just can it out. Um, Todd, didn't you see this on, on this movie theater in the ship, if I recall? Or am I wrong on that? Was you saw it with Mark and Mary maybe on the, on the ship when we went? Um, I saw three of the Pirates movies on board ships. And this was one of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that seems very appropriate to watch these movies. It was. Well, they have the pirate net on the ships, and that's actually the pirate net on the ship exists because of the success of this movie. So. That's what I was going to ask, if it was preceded or if it was because of this. It was... I don't remember Pirate Night from our first cruise, but I remember it from our second cruise. How's that for an answer? Good yeah, answer. I'm pretty sure it's because of and, this. I mean, this this created the entire pirates phenomenon that that took place once they put the sequels into production. Absolutely. I mean, and you look at like Caribbean Beach Resort was basically rethemed around this movie. You've got the pirate rooms, you've got Old Port Royal, you've got you know the whole theme of the pool there, and everything was completely changed because of this. And, and it's one of those things, too, where it's like um, if you guys – you know, I think now everybody looks at, at Stitch and how Disney has used Stitch, and they go, gosh, that – you know, it's just overdone, and, you know, I don't know if I, if I really like Lilo and Stitch anymore. And then when we, you watch the movie, you realize how great a movie it is. I think the same thing has sort of happened with the Pirates films is that people, you know – I think people had a great amount of affection for this one, and then you see the rest of the films, and it's, you know, they're, I'll be the first to admit they're not as good. I like them better than most people, but, you know, I think the, some people will forget how good the first one is uh, due to all the exploitation, shall we say, that Disney has done of the brand since then. Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of oversaturation um, that they put a little bit too much out there and tried to make it, you know, as big a thing as the first one was, and it didn't quite pan out the way they planned. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think I think from a uh, consumer product standpoint, especially, you know, the pirate stuff doesn't sell nearly like cars or some of the Marvel stuff. So, 
I think that's that's part of what they've they've run into and why it's been scaled back to primarily the movie stuff. Which you know, hey, Pirates Five by the directors of Contiki, which if you haven't seen that and you want to see what they could do with Pirates Five, it is a family friendly film that you could go see. It's a uh, good good movie if you want to see what could be up for Pirates Five. Cool. All right, so let's talk about Curse of the Black Pearl. So. Who, uh, when they said Johnny Depp was going to be in this movie, thought what? Huh? Again, I this wasn't on my radar. Like, I don't know why not, but when I saw, you know, th- my friend had the DVD, I was like, really, that's an interesting choice, but I think that's exactly why they went in that direction. Is It's because nobody would have expected that, and I think it worked perfectly because he... I mean, I, I can't picture it, like, just reading some of the other stuff, some of the other people that they considered for the role and that it was supposedly created for Hugh Jackman and, and all yeah. this other stuff. I can't, I can't envision anyone else as Captain Jack Sparrow other than Johnny Depp. Yeah, well, the, the way that the role was written in the script, it was actually based off of, and I, I forget the movie, but Burt Lancaster had a pirate film um, back in the, in the early days of Hollywood, and they based it off of off of that and and that was it was supposed to be the very handsome swashbuckler type you know pirate and so it was you know so like you said Hugh Jackman was one of the guys that they had originally envisioned in the role uh they had turned to Matthew McConaughey at some point for him to be Jack Sparrow but have you guys heard the story of how uh how Johnny Depp got the role yeah yeah totally I mean, you want to go through it, or sure. Yeah, so uh, Depp was in Dick Cook's office, the former head of, of Disney live action production, uh, to talk about, or or the entire studio rather, to talk about doing a voice in an animated film because he had children and wanted to have something that his kids could then you know go and watch. And so they talked through a few different possibilities, didn't really settle on anything. And then they just started chatting about general ideas. And Dick Cook told him, yeah, we're doing a movie based on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And before he could really tell Depp what the movie was about, Johnny Depp says, I'm in. Didn't see the script. Didn't know who was directing. Didn't know anything about it. Just said, I'm in. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's, you know, he's a go-for-it type Whenever he gets in, you know, interviews and stuff. I wonder if he had done it because he was. He, I, I wonder if he was trying to shed the typecast problem that most actors have once. Because he had done Twenty One Jump Street for three years, and once you do like a role for more than for more than let's say two years, you become what's known in the industry as typecast. And although he had done some in- independent stuff, um, like Gilbert Grape and Benny and June, I wonder if he was trying to use the pirates to um, shed being typecast. I think he was definitely trying to get away from some of those indie roles, for sure. Because, I mean, even though he'd been in big-budget movies, like he'd been in Edward Scissorhands and some of the Burton films at this point, mm-hmm. he had not really had a big box office film. So I kind of wonder that. But it's just crazy for me to think about the fact that that literally is a 
two or three billion dollar decision right there. Worked out pretty well for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you think? <laughs> just a, just a little, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, think about think about the company. The, just the company. If that if he had if he had been like, no, nah, I'm not interested, and they had cast Hugh Jackman. Do we think this film does half as well? No, I love me some Wolverine, but no. It would have had a much the wrong type of feel. I mean, that was plus. I don't think that the other actors that they had mentioned would deal as well with the fact that you had Elliot and Rossio on set constantly changing the script. Yes. Right. I mean, Depp is a very versatile, willing to change actor, and these other actors, the things that I've read about them, like Matthew Modine, you know, those kind of things. McConaughey, not Mahon- Modine. Well, McC- McConaughey. Sorry, you're right. Even so, another good, good one. Not up for having changes thrown at him. Yeah. No, Johnny Depp is, is definitely more of a, I wouldn't say an improv actor, but like he inhabits the role, so it's not hard for him to, to change dialogue and to just get into the role. Well, he, uh, he didn't just inhabit this role, though. He made this role. Oh, completely. Uh, the, now, the dialogue that's in the, that's in the movie, okay, if you, if you, listen, if you read the, the, the final shooting script before they actually went on, on location, it's not that different. So he's saying the words that they wrote for McConaughey, Jackman, etc. But what he did was kind of take that character and portray it the way he wanted to. And, I mean, he went he, – he actually wanted to go farther off. I mean, there's a whole story about – have you guys heard the story about Jack's nose and what he wanted to do with that? I, I did. <laughs> I thought that was kind of strange. I hadn't actually heard that until I did the research for this. And, uh, yeah, go go ahead and tell that one, Todd, because it's uh, it's it's it shows you where he could have gone with this. Right. So he wanted one of the things he wanted for the character was to have the character so afraid of uh, his nose, basically, that he had cut off his own nose, and he was afraid to sneeze of colds of things like pepper. Yeah, the whole idea was that he'd gotten in a sword fight. And had had his nose cut off and then reattached, but his nose was blue because the circulation was so bad. And that, so his, so Jack Sparrow's biggest fear was not, you know, other pirates or gun po- guns or swords or whatever. It was the common cold or pepper or things that would make him sneeze. Yeah. Glad they didn't go with that. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, he definitely is devoted to it. I mean, like, did you guys read about how he went and had his own dentist put in more gold teeth than what they were, like, wanting him to do? And then they ended up settling on what he envisioned. He, like, went way overboard, and then they, like, said, no, you can only have this number of gold teeth. And that's yeah. what his goal was, like, them meeting in the middle there to begin with. Well, he, he, he forced the middle, is what he really yeah, did. Yeah, exactly, because yes. he, like, did way more and then there's like okay we'll cut it in half or whatever it was and he he does not like and and he from what i understand and you know stuff i've read you know interviews with him he is one to often stay in character and you know everything for the entire shoot and it is um well the original costume basis was entirely his he showed up for his first reading in costume yes yeah at the very first read through the cast and crew are sitting there, you know, so I, I don't know how many people know what how a read-through works, but basically they take the script. Once they've cast everybody, they all get into a room, and they sit down, and they read through the script 
before they start shooting, right? They just sit for a couple of hours and read the script with everybody doing their lines, you know, somewhat in character, but just kind of getting comfortable with the way the dialogue flows and that sort of thing. But yeah, so Johnny Depp shows up to the read-through in, in a costume that he had developed uh, and starts portraying this drunken, swaggering pirate, and everyone was just slack-jawed <laughs> listening to him read his lines. Right, but it, I, it grew on them, I guess, because they totally went with it. Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, the whole thing is, I think Ver, Gore Verbinski knew, because if you, if you listen to the commentary on uh, the DVD between he and Johnny Depp, they obviously get along very well because they've done the other Pirates films, uh, Rango and now Lone Ranger together. And they were talking about when he went – Gore Verbinski went over to London to visit with Johnny Depp, and Depp was telling him the whole blue nose idea and all the other things he wanted to do. And Gore was sitting there just – instead of thinking, how am I going to talk this guy out of it? He says, I was thinking about how am I going to talk the studio into it. <laughs> uh, and I think that's what Johnny Depp liked about him, and that's why he backed off on some of the stuff because he didn't want to make it hard for for the guy. Yeah. Because when they started shooting and Disney executives were getting some of the dailies back, they lost it. Yeah, I heard Eisner wasn't too happy with – because he was still around when this was yeah. going on, and he wasn't too happy with some of them. Yeah, nice. they – they almost shut down production. He was so unhappy. He, he went to the set. Yeah. And and literally was going to say, you know what, you're done. And Verbinski had heard rumor, prepared for it, and wowed him instead. Yep. Yeah, they managed to avoid it. And it's just one of those things where you think, again, you, you look back at, at the this, – this whole film, and, and Gore Verbinski says it a lot when you read interviews with him or if you listen to you know, stuff that he said about the film. He's like the, the entire film was a happy accident. Like he didn't intend to make this movie. It was one of those things where you know, he got interested in it and Jerry Bruckheimer really, really convinced him that he needed to do it. And then all of a sudden Johnny Depp's in the movie – despite the fact that they've been going down this other road. Um, Orlando Bloom didn't even get cast until the day before they shot his first shot. So, I mean, all these things just sort of happened. And there's, there are several shots in the movie, and we'll talk about it when we're going through, where he says, that's not the shot we intended to get. It's just the shot that happened because the ship started drifting one way or another or <laughs> you know, certain things started happening during the filming. So yeah, I mean, like they ended up with with Johnny Depp in the movie. Orlando Bloom didn't even get cast in the film until uh, the day before they did the first shot with Will Turner. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, this movie is basically. We should mention too. This movie is basically shot in reverse because all the scenes that were in the caverns were all done first. Yes. Okay, so I so that's one of the reasons why you know, and all the Will stuff at that scene was added as a backshoot thing which happens a lot in movies yep yeah they they shot so they shot the uh the cavern stuff at the very end and in the middle at on the same stage as uh, mary poppins at the, the what's now known as the julie andrews stage on on the disney lot and then they shot in all other all over the caribbean i have a different question yes did they shoot any of this at the actual ride no no no, no none of it uh, the there's um they, they the should have you know what I'm sorry <laughs> I know I didn't see a movie but they should have done that 
We're doing a movie about the ride. We should it's not a movie about well, the ride. It's a movie inspired by the ride. Also, but we keep... should still least, like give the ride at least mention. Well, no, uh, that was one of Eisner's stipulations he, when he came. He said, okay, fine, keep doing the movie, but anything else that you're going to mention that isn't already in the script doesn't get added what? regarding the ride. All right, so let, let, let's start talking about the film and, and some of the production stuff because I think, you know, everybody's, except for Cheryl, seen the movie. And Malcolm so, said, don't bring Malcolm in because – Yeah, and, and young children yes. uh, have, seen, have seen the movie. So, I, I, you know, we can talk some about the plot stuff, too, but I think, one, like I was saying, some of the interesting stuff about this film is, is, you know, what happens within the film and how it was produced and some of the things. So, for example, the opening shot of the film is this, this ship sailing through the fog where, Governor, where we see Elizabeth, uh, the young Elizabeth Swan, standing on the sh- ship singing the song from the ride. So if you if you read anything about you know we were just talking about the ride influences they didn't want to do too much stuff to make it basically just a literal translation of the ride or just you know basically lifting all the scenes from the ride and stitching them together with with a story but they definitely knew they had to get the song in but it didn't make a whole lot of sense for a bunch of pirates to start breaking out in the song so this was the way that they decided to do it it was to sneak it in as a children's song that Elizabeth sang yeah and and this actually carries forward through the later movies too. Is it's always kids who, and Jack who sing the song. Mm-hmm. Yep. But so the the opening of the film is that, and then uh, what's happening is that the ship is crossing over to Port Royal, Jamaica, where the rest of the film is set. And Governor Swan is crossing over with the Royal Navy, headed by, headed by Lieutenant James Norrington, Jack Davenport. Um, who many of you might know from from British TV or from uh, Smash or Flash Forward on on American TV. And they find a burning shipwreck and a young boy floating in the water who turns out to be Will Turner. Elizabeth pulls, you know, they pull him onto the ship and Elizabeth, you know, takes care of him while everyone else tries to figure out what's going on with with the wreckage. And she finds this pirate medallion. And takes it from him, basically. Before he wakes up, he tells her his name. And, you know, there's a whole long thing about pirates. There's uh, Mr. Gibbs is on the ship, and he's talking with Norrington about pirates. Elizabeth's interested in them, which her father is very upset about. Uh, and, you know, Gibbs is saying how horrible they are. Norrington saying how he wants to hunt them all down. I mean, it's, it's one of those scenes that, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I used to go back and watch the movie, I would skip all the way until Jack Sparrow arrives, just because that's when the movie really kicks into gear. But this is a scene that really establishes all of the characters in the scene really well without, I mean, it's not a long scene. No, it, all their, but they have a lot of motivation stuff being thrown around. It's also like, Throughout the movie, there's constant pirate ref- – uh, con- not constant pirate re- references, but constant ship references. Yeah. Right? Like um, the front on this ship is uh, from a ship called the uh, Victory. Okay, and it's, it's legitimately – they went and they took pictures of it and they recreated it for this – for purposes of showing on this particular ship. Um, and it has two quotes on it. One is, uh, God in my right, and the other one is, evil be unto him that thinks evil. It wasn't one in French and one was in Latin. Yeah, but I don't yeah. do those languages. <laughs> 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 I barely does Spanish. 
That's true. Barely does Spanish. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So that yeah, it's it's a scene that that establishes all of this kind of stuff, and it's Elizabeth who sees the black pearl sailing away, although we don't know that's what it is at the, at the moment, but then nobody else sees it. But then she wakes up. So the way that they've established it, and she wakes up as Kira Knightley, an old, the, the older version of herself. So the way they've established it, you don't really know if any of that actually happened or if it's, you know, there's the whole unreliable narrator thing going on, which I like. It's kind of a cool thing that they did there. Yeah, and I love that transition shot from when she closes her eyes as a little girl and then wakes up. Yeah. Well, and the first thing they do is they show her look to see if the medallion that she stole from Will is still there, which it is. It's in her drawer. So, And that's one of the things that's interesting, too, is if you think about it, right, this is a pirate film. And the first thing that you see, the first person you see stealing treasure is Elizabeth. Yep. Pirate at heart. Huh. I hadn't even thought about that, but cool. Yeah. Well, there's another one of those those type moments later on in the movie. Um, it's one of those things that the writers did very – the whole idea of this film is to basically take all the conventions of the pirate genre that you would expect to see in a pirate movie and turn them on their head without making you uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's They're one. not trying to steal – you know, we'll get into it, but they're trying to return the treasure. So Yes. Yep. And, and there, there's others. I mean, there's other things in here, too. So we wake up, you know, later and, you know, Governor Swan comes in to meet Elizabeth and give her a dress. And here's where, like, I don't know if you guys remember the trailers for this, but the corset was basically like the featured player in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. 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 She, she yells about something about the, it, it literally in the track, because I did watch the trailer this morning, so... Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what the, the writers got a good kick, a, a good giggle out of the fact that basically the corset is the MacGuffin for the film because yeah. n- none of the film happens unless unless she faints from her over-tightened corset. <laughs> yeah, and I remember the line from later in the film, you know, about pain and, oh, you like pain, try wearing a corset sometime. That was like the centerpiece of the trailer that I remember seeing, you know. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that was that was the centerpiece of every trailer. It feels like, but so, so the whole idea is that uh, Norrington is getting promoted to Commodore, and Governor Swan is hinting that you know he's going to ask Elizabeth to marry him, which is kind of creepy because he doesn't look. He looks about the same age as when they were sailing across the ocean when she was twelve. But you know. Saying, I guess that's the way things. things and I figure, work. you know, it's probably like I'm guessing about ten years later, and. Maybe he could have looked, you know, like he was in his early or twenties than he looked. But yeah, it's you know, I figure him to be in his mid to late thirties, if not forty, you know, and she's in her early twenties, which back then, you know, not as big a, a deal, you know. So I can I can tell you actually because they they actually talk about this, the writers do that. It is exactly it is precisely seven years later. Okay. Uh, and she was twelve at the time, which would make her nineteen. Which is weird because Kira Knightley was actually, I think, seventeen at the time. Normally, they play it the other way around, right? Yeah. That is, that is, that is, usually, Disney definitely plays it the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
and then, this is where we get introduced to the to the modern version of Will Turner, played by uh, Orlando Bloom. And again, as mentioned before, this was his first day on the set. This shot was the first shot of Will in the movie was his first day on the set. And they do a neat little thing where he comes. He's the blacksmith apprentice, and he's presenting the sword to Governor Swan, who's going to present it to Norrington. And you can tell that he was the one who actually built the who did the sword, not the blacksmith himself. But they don't say that. It's just done through dialogue and, and character, which I thought was a, a great way to reveal Will. But the other thing that they do is that when Will is waiting in the governor's house, he plays with this lamp, and the lamp breaks. And it's the first moment of humor in the movie. Uh, and it's very intentional. It's there because the writers and then Gore Verbinski and everyone, they wanted to give the audience permission to laugh. That this was going to be a movie that had a lot of humor in it. And that's one of my favorite things about this is the juxtaposition of the tension and the action and then the comedy thrown right in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, and, and they did a sim- Joss Whedon did a similar thing in Avengers. So if you remember Avengers opens with the whole scene with Loki and the, and the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility and everything, it's very, very serious, very similar mm-hmm. to the ship here. The next scene is the whole Black Widow interrogation scene. Where you have yeah. the yeah. humor of, of her, you know, turning the tables on everybody and Colson on the phone and all that stuff. And it's the same exact thing, right? They're giving the audience the permission saying, this is going to have some laughs in it. So feel free to laugh and, and enjoy the movie. But, yeah, so we have that big confrontation there between Elizabeth and Will uh, where, you know, he asks – she asks him to call her Elizabeth and he calls her Miss Swan as he always does. But you can tell he's painfully smitten with her. Yeah, and then as she drives off, you know, he says it, but not to where anyone else can hear it other than the audience. Well, and that was – Gore Verbinski said the biggest problem he had with Orlando Bloom in filming the movie is that Orlando Bloom, like, in real life is a fairly cool guy. And that when he got on set with Johnny Depp, he wanted to act cool like Johnny Depp. And that he had to keep reminding Orlando Bloom, he's like, no, you're still a dork. You're, you, you, <laughs> like, you still have to act like a dweeb. You still have to be that way. He said that was the biggest challenge with him because he just in general is a fairly cool guy, which you could probably tell you know, if you've ever seen, ever seen pictures of him in real life, um, even though Will Turner is probably my least favorite character in the entire trilogy. Yeah, he, he as a character, he kind of is okay in this movie, and he kind of like goes downhill through the, all the rest of the movie. The other, well, the two more movies that he's in. Yeah, yeah, he's he he definitely. Although I guess in the third one he's okay. I can deal with him in the third one. But, no, his father is cooler than he is. Well, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. All right, but I think we can all agree the real beginning of the movie is the shot of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow on top of the mast sailing into Port Royal. Yes. And I love that they liked the cinematography in that shot where they come up behind him and you see, like, the silhouette before you see him, you know, face on. Yeah, so I think this is one of the things that that they have tried to live up to in the other three Pirates films and they can't is his introduction. If you notice in the other Pirates films, he always has to have the great introduction because the one that they do here is probably one of the greatest introductions of a character in cinema. Ever, yeah. Yeah. I also like that the way they they're shooting it too. It's like you can't tell until they flip around that the ship is even sinking. Yep. Right. Yeah. They they measure the horizon just right on the shots. So that looks like he's just in the 
Yeah, he's the, like uh, up on the crow, crow's, crow's nest. nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's 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 they reveal his whole character in this whole section. Yeah, and he barely says anything. Like if you go from the time that he walks off the dock, he says one line. Mm-hmm. But you know exactly what this guy is because you see that part. You see him on the mast, and then you the you know there's the reveal that he's on this tiny little ship uh, that's sinking. And it's then you it's see the Jollymon, by the way. I'm sorry. The name of the ship is the Jollymon. Oh, nice. Yeah, it um they it's not ever mentioned in any of the movies, but there's like a short that they made where the two chicks who slap him later on in Tortuga. Mm-hmm. He actually has a short that he's involved with where he's supposed to be marrying both of them. Oops. And then he escapes Tortuga for Port Royal on the Fort Royal on the ship. Which, if you if you if you read the original script or or any of the the supplemental materials about the movie, the ship is supposed to be later on Zoe Saldana's character Anna That's Maria. That's what I was going to ask if it was yep. Anna Maria's that it's, he yes. ruined. <laughs> yes, it's supposed to be her ship. Uh, it, but you, you have this you ship. Just spoiled the movie for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, um, no, no, you can't. There's really there's it's we've mentioned so much, but there's we're not spoiling the movie at all. No, I meant the other, I meant the sequels. <laughs> not even. Well, we've reviewed one of the sequels already. Don't forget. I know you've like, done four. Still, yeah. I still think we need to warn people. At yeah. this point, I'm putting up the warning line. Episode twenty-four. <laughs> Episode twenty-four. There will be spoilers. As as Barbosa says, here there be spoilers. Nice, nice. Thank you. Well done. Uh, yeah. So you have, you have the ship sinking, him stepping off of the sinking ship onto the dock, and then the confrontation with the the portmaster who says, you know, you've got to pay pay two shillings and to tie up at the dock, and we need your name. And he says, the the my one of my favorites, you know, how about three shillings, and we forget the name. And then we get welcome to Port Royal, Mr. Smith. <laughs> yes. But the whole idea being, and, and the way that they have the character portrayed, is that Jack Sparrow basically believes that no matter how bad the circumstance or no matter what is going on, the universe will give him his just rewards. And his just rewards, in Jack's mind, is going to turn out okay. And for the most part, it does. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. indeed. <laughs> Well, let's let's step back. I mean, throw, and let's just talk about the, the, all the movies for a second. What Jack is really seeking is immortality. Yes, which right? is why the fourth one is so bad. Okay, yeah. and that's why he he feels that he it's due him and it's coming to him. So that's why his while he exhibits fear, his fear he's not he's not really afraid necessarily. You know, I, I always get that feeling. He's just kind of reacting how everybody expects him to react, but not necessarily how he's really thinking, which is one of the brilliant things of how his character works absolutely yeah you're absolutely right i mean that's his his whole goal is is immortality which again like i said that's that's why the fourth one bugged me so much um having watched it a few times since then it's you know it's an okay movie but it it, i don't care for what they did to jack sparrow but yeah he he just figures that eventually jack sparrow will will get the last laugh on everybody. That's kind of the way he thinks, which is why, like you said, yes, he exhibits fear if he sees that things are going poorly, but why he does things like in the third movie, ties himself to a rope and fires a cannon to shoot himself onto another ship. Because he figures, 
it's going to work out for me. Yeah. That and he's a little bit crazy. Just a little. Uh, but again, so he comes into town, has he's looking to get a ship. He has the great conversation with the guys uh, Mulroy and Murtaugh, the yes. Royal Marines. And so one of the things that the writers did is that they actually there's a there's an archetype in, in old Hollywood films, and you don't see it a lot these days, called the trickster character, which is basically like Bugs Bunny. And that's what they modeled Jack Sparrow off of, is Sparrow is supposed to be, and part of the reason why he's named Sparrow is they gave him and Elizabeth bird names so that they would play off each other. So Sparrow, like, he's quick to run away and fly off, and Swan, she's graceful and elegant. Plus, but, Will Turner was a famous ornithologist. Yes, yeah. Um, also, the captain of the Lusitania. Did not know that one. Oh, yes. that one I didn't know, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. But actually, if you think about it, right, is um, here's an interesting thing about Will, right? So he's the ornithologist, right? And Jack is a sparrow, and Elizabeth is a swan, and he's a bird watcher. And if you think about his role versus them in the movie, he is the responsible one. Yes. Okay? <laughs> and he's watching over both of them. Yep. Right. It's so it's it's actually a it's an intentionally done naming set. Yep. Yep. Well, and the other thing, the other thing too that's interesting in is that the way that the the script is constructed, and I have to I, I have to admit I didn't watch the whole movie with this in mind, but I think this bears out is that the point of view characters throughout the film are Jack and Elizabeth. Will is never a POV character. So you never have a scene with just Will where we're seeing things from his point of view. It's Elizabeth is the main protagonist, and Jack is the is her counterpoint protagonist. Will is sort of along for the ride. I hadn't thought about that. Other than like the scene with Norrington where he's trying to convince him to go, you know, after yeah. them. That's about the only one I can think of, but other than that, yeah, it works. Yeah, that was just something that the writers said uh, when I was watching the, the commentary on that the other day. And I thought, wow, that's I had never thought of that. Yeah. Which I think is partially why some of the, the, the sequel stuff doesn't work quite as well. Because they, they have a little too much focus on Will, but that's a whole discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. But what happens here is, again, they're subverting some of the pirate genre, right? Because... Uh, he has that conversation, and he's talking with the two guards, and at, it's at that point that Elizabeth, you know, at the big ceremony at the fort, uh, faints from the corset and falls into the water. And when she does that, it's not the Royal Navy or Will Turner, the supposed hero, who goes to save her. It's Jack Sparrow, the, the ruthless pirate. <laughs> Playing the role of reluctant hero. Right. But if you think about it, the first action that we see Captain Jack do in the film, other than just, you know, arrive into the film, is rescue someone. Yep. Yeah. Again. Well, one of the points that he makes in a very early interview, this is Depp, uh, is that to, from his point of view and part of why he created the character in his head how he did was because in, in that time period – Pirates were like rock stars and superheroes. Yep. 
Okay, so that's what he wanted Captain Jack to be was be a pirate who was a rock star and a superhero, right? Which is why a lot of his mannerisms, not not the complete character, is based off of Keith Richards, and why Keith Richards comes to play his dad later films. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, he described it as a mixture between Keith Richards and Pepe Le Pew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Pepe Le Pew goes into what we were talking about earlier about Jack's character of thinking how things would always work out. If you remember ever watching the Pepe Le Pew shorts, I mean, Pepe Le Pew, no matter how much that cat runs away from him, he always believes they're going to be together and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> so it works. Yeah, it does. But yes, so Jack manages to save Elizabeth, but uh, then get captured by the Royal Navy eventually uh, after a long chase through the streets. And what I this is the point when I was watching the movie and I see the epic sword fight between he and Will in the blacksmith shop that I said, "Okay, you've got me for the rest of the movie. That is one of my favorite fight scenes in any movie. I like I love that sword fighting scene. And then also like Princess Bride between Inigo and, you know. Wesley, but the guy who did the sword fighting went back all the way to the 50s doing, you know, Errol Flynn stuff, so yep. he had been doing this for 50 plus years, so he knows what he's doing. He, absolutely he does, yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, a good fight, uh, a good fight scene, you know, th- there's two ways to do it, right? You can, you can read a script that says, you know, uh, Jack and Will fight and let the let the director figure it out, or you can sit you can do it in a way that the fight reveals character, which is what they do here, where Jack is basically teaching Will to sword fight at the very beginning, and once he sees that Will's pretty good at it, uh, he decides to cheat because pirate. That's yeah, you know, that's his character. Uh, but but Jack gets knocked out and is scheduled to be hanged the next day. Uh, unfortunately, when Elizabeth fell into the water. And she was wearing the medallion. It summoned the Black Pearl. Yes. So bad stuff ensues. I kind of like that that underwater effect. That the pulse thing. Yeah, that is that is a cool effect. Well, okay. So you have to think about how the types of things that really attract me. And while I enjoy the sword fighting and everything like that, the this is literally the kind of thing that attracts me. Where I see something like that happen, and I suddenly am like, I want to get to the bottom of that, and I don't care. Right. What else is going on? So that's what sold me on the movie, was that moment where she hits the ground and that thump happens. Well, yeah, and and then the mechanics of the curse, which we'll talk about the the whole curse, uh, they were very intricate and very well thought out. Because if you follow how the whole coins and the chest works throughout the rest of the film, like they were extremely consistent throughout the whole thing. And people have actually dinged the movie for it not being consistent, but it's because it's a complicated mechanism, I guess, is the best way to put it. And if, you, if you're if you not paying close attention, you'll miss something uh, that as to how the curse works. Because I've heard some people say, oh, well, Elizabeth should be cursed because she has one of the pieces of gold. That's not how it works. It's whoever took it. It's exactly. It's who. It's you have to take a piece out of the chest, and then you're cursed, which plays into the movie a great deal, mm-hmm. especially at the end. But yes, yeah, so the the Black Pearl shows up and starts uh, besieging Port Royal, basically to get the medallion. Uh, one of the things, 
that I found really amazing, and I don't know if you guys read this, is the entire siege of Port Royal. So not the stuff where you see the folks running through the streets. Um, when you see the, the people running through the streets and everyone, you know, the, the, the poor little kids screaming and everything, that stuff was shot at Universal Studios' backlot. But when you see all the pirates coming off of the beach, you see um, Elizabeth looking out the window, you see uh, Norrington and Jonathan Price, uh, Governor Swan, up on the fort. All of that was shot simultaneously in one take. Hmm. I didn't read that. Yeah. Um, Gord Verbinski talks about it in, in the commentary. He's like, you know, the stuff on the streets was not, but everything else they shot with multiple cameras, and they basically did the siege one time. They did it a second time just to make sure, but they used that first take. That's awesome. And, and yes. that's, that's the thing he does. That's how he makes movies. Well, it, it, I, the first take thing doesn't surprise me, though. I mean, if you think about it, is when you're redoing a thing, sometimes you overthink it because you go, well, what did I do last time? What could I do better? But this way, you get the more spontaneity in that first take. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's more, for me, the, the amazing part is more the fact of, like, normally you would shoot, okay, pirates, storm the beach. And then you would cut, and then you would go to, okay, you guys over there, sword fight. And then you would cut, and then you would go to, you know, all right, go to the top of the fort. All right, let's shoot, you know, that kind of a thing. The way that Verbinski thinks is he's like, if this is a all-encompassing scene, let's shoot it that way. Um, and there's not that many – that's why I really like him as a director is because there's not that many directors who, who think that way. Yeah. So the the whole idea of parlay comes into play here as uh, you know the pirates storm looking for the medallion and find Elizabeth they get capture they capture her she invokes the right of parlay which was a real thing uh, yes though so they, so they spelt wrong for the movie uh, yes they do uh, they say that you can you can go talk to the captain and negotiate if you invoke the right of parlay. Uh, they are correct when they say in the film that normally that applies only from pirate to pirate, however. Yeah, because it's supposed to be part of the pirate's code. Correct. But she's a pirate at heart. <laughs> well, they don't know that at this point. No, this... they don't. <laughs> well, and and it's important to note that she, she does that. And then, again, another thing, uh, Will Turner is the first person in the movie to kill someone. Huh. So again, it's 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 subtle things, right? Like Elizabeth taking the medallion, you don't think about it. Jack rescuing her, you don't think about it. Will Turner's the first person in the movie to kill someone. He takes his axe and flings it into the back of a pirate. Now, sure, that pirate ends up alive later, uh, but but he is the first person in the movie to to actually strike and kill someone. So our heroes are actually the ones who are doing the the despicable things, and the pirates are doing heroic things. Again, it's just signaling to the audience in a subtle way that. This is going to be something a little different than what you're used to. Yeah, and I wonder how many people caught on like the first time around how much this pirate culture Elizabeth is aware of. You know, obviously as a young girl that's not something you would study in school. So it's something she's it must have gone out on her own to, you know, research these things because I don't think her father the governor is teaching her this. You don't? Not no. so much. No. no I'm, think, I'm thinking not, yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, she gets captured, uh, goes aboard the Black Pearl 
to meet Captain Barbosa, part- portrayed with um, scene-chewing verve by Mr. Jeffrey Rush, who is, I mean, like, way over the top, and if you've ever seen any other Jeffrey Rush movies, that's not... He, he can act, like, very subtle and very, you know, convincingly, but then sometimes he just likes to turn loose, and I think the pirate films are what he likes to do. You know, that's when he likes to just let loose with stuff. Because, I mean, he is over the top here. And in a good way. I, I, I don't say that as a, you know, he's chewing the scenery kind of a thing. But he's, he's just over the top and great as Barbosa. Yeah. I, I, so um, his name is derived from Barbarossa, which is, means, literally means red beard. Right? Oh, but they didn't, I didn't want know. it. They didn't want to use traditional um, pirate names until – because they knew – I think they kind of sort of knew where they were leading with um, Will's character, that storyline. I honestly believe that. I know that probably a lot of fans probably might not believe that. <laughs> but they here's, – here's why I believe it because the movie up until about three months before it was released was just Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay? Yes. They added Curse of the Black Pearl on because at that point in time they – they knew that they were planning on making more movies. Yeah, they were they were about 95% certain that there was going to be sequels. Once they saw the finished product, uh, everyone was extremely convinced this was going to be a huge hit, which I can understand. Can't argue. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they added on the, the subtitle and everything. But it's it's important to know that in the original script, right, they weren't thinking about sequels or any of that stuff, but... When you go back to the sequels, they made pains to incorporate things that happened in the original film as stuff. So there's, there was a moment that we, we didn't mention earlier where Jack's talking with the um, Murtaugh and Mulroy about – he says this line about, and then they made me their king. And what he's <laughs> talking what – he, what he, in the script, what that means is he's talking about how he got off the island that he was deserted on. And when it comes back to the sequel, it comes around to the cannibal island that opens Dead Man's Chest. This is a cannibal island. <laughs> you seen, have you I seen have... any of the four? No. Oh, Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl. Remember, remember the uh, Backlot Tour had those big uh, things that look those net things that looked like they were made out of bones. Bone cages. Yeah, the, they're yeah. they're from that movie. The only bone I want to see is the one with the dog holding it. <laughs> Well, you, you missed go. that in this movie. You oh, missed good. that. They the dog did, and the bone. did that. They did that. Yes. They did. Yes. They did. Yes. That. He, yeah. In fact, he comments on it, right? He makes. Mm-hmm. He, he, yes. Uh, Johnny Depp makes a joke as one of the lines in the movie where they're, they're trying to whistle to get the dog to come to them with the bone, and he, he says that dog is never going to move because yep. the dog never moves. <laughs> He's not wrong about that. No. Yeah, but Elizabeth gets on board the Black Pearl. And she gives the name that she's Elizabeth Turner, a maid in the governor's house, because one of the maids early on, and it was clever in the script, they says, you know, oh, they're coming for you because you're the governor's daughter, right? Uh, and she figures out that it's the medallion that they want and manages to get them to go away. Unfortunately, as is the case in any dealing with Barbosa, she forgets one important detail, which is you should return me to shore and then go away. Uh, and so she becomes a prisoner aboard the Black Pearl. Oh, yeah, and one of the other things in the sword fight that I loved was when Jack first sees Will, he says, oh, you look familiar, which ties into who Will really is later on. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, you, you have to be willing to accept a lot of coincidence Yeah. for right. this movie. Right, well, I mean, people who are fans, right, the, the whole th- first three movies are end up being about Will is what you learn. Yes. Okay, and Will's family. And, um, and really, the moment she finds him in the very beginning of the first movie is bookended in the third movie. Yep. yep. Right, because you get, you get told what happened up until that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the next morning, of course, Will is, is all in arms and wants to go rescue Elizabeth. He tries to convince Norrington. This is what uh, Betsy was talking about earlier. Uh, Norrington's you know, trying to figure out what to do, and Will says, well, get Jack Sparrow. He knows where they're going, and Norrington says no. Um, Will then decides to free Jack from jail uh, to go, and he will go chase down Elizabeth himself. Uh, Jack accepts, but only after learning that his name is Will Turner, which becomes important very soon after. Because the one thing you have to understand about Jack Sparrow is that he always has an angle. And it seems to be often changing. Uh, he definitely has at least one, yeah. Usually multiple. serves him at that particular moment. Yeah, you got it. So they they manage to go and into the bay, and there's two ships that the Royal Navy has at Port Royal. The first is the Dauntless, which is the pride of Her Majesty's fleet, as is mentioned many times. Uh, and then there's the Interceptor, which is the fastest ship uh, on the seas, at least except for the Black Pearl. So they actually went to great pains, as the writers did, into figuring out how the ships worked. The, the reason the Black Pearl is faster is not because it's supernatural. It's because it has oars. Yeah, and it's also lighter. Yes, and it, but it's based the inter- on a real ship. It, it is. Uh, right, well, the Interceptor is is a real ship. Yes, which is an amazing <laughs> story. <laughs> um, it's, it's a uh, refurbished tall ship that uh, is the official tall ship of the state of Washington. And, and the yes. ship is called the Lady Washington. And, and if, did you read the story of, of sailing the Lady Washington... Yeah, so the Lady Washington, like you said, Todd, it was in uh, Seattle. It was in Washington, uh, in, in the port. And they sailed it down to Long Beach, and they shot some of the scenes on, on the ship in Long Beach. Then they, they repainted it and, and refurbed it so that they could, they could then sail it. And it, while they finished shooting in Long Beach, and basically Gore Verbinski said to the crew, all right, we'll see you in two months in the Caribbean. And they sailed from Long Beach, down the coast, through the Panama Canal, and over to the, sh- to the shot location in the Caribbean. They, they got caught in the storm, and the mast broke. Um, they had to stop and make repairs. Uh, they ran out of food. I mean, like, the story of that voyage is probably almost as good a movie as this one. <laughs> yeah, I- I, it's kind of weird. I mean, so a lot of uh, movie sets have a lot of accidents, and this one, I, I would qualify that as part of the production accidents that went on during this this movie, of um, which there were many. There were many. Uh, there was there was a. Did, did you know that Karen Knightley's like ship sank? Yes. So yeah, because hers is the only one that actually changed production, though. Did Did you catch that little bit when you guys were reading about this? I didn't. I knew it was like her and her mom and uh, someone else on the ship, and they were rescued within a few hours. But it was something where, uh, actually, I think I do remember where they ended up switching it from doing it there to on the sound stages. 
Yeah, they, they rebuilt the caves on the soundstage as a result of this because they were this was when they were filming the caves in the beginning, and they decided that it was too dangerous because they needed nighttime shots, and it was they changed the whole productions uh, as a result of that. Yeah, I do remember reading something about that. So you're saying, Ryan, that they modified the tall ship so it could it could sail through the Panama Canal, but apparently they failed for modifications because they got in an accident in the Panama Canal. No, no, no. They, they made it through the Panama Canal. I don't know where it was on the voyage that they hit a storm, but when they did, the mast broke. on okay. the on, on, so, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Dauntless. It was the, the Interceptor, the smaller of the two ships. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, the, the next part of the of the film where they steal the two sh- the ships, um, you know, Jack and Will get on board the Dauntless, the big ship, uh, and they're laughed at by the crew because they're like, you can't command this ship with two people. But they start taking the ship out, and uh, Norrington and and everyone gets on the interceptor to try and get them. Uh, and what happens is when they all get to when when they all get there, they try to get on the Dauntless. Uh, and everybody gets on the Dauntless, Jack and Will are no longer there. They have they swing over to the Interceptor, and so the Dauntless is then trying to chase them and shoot the Interceptor down. And it's a very savvy move if you've seen the movie. I'm assuming most people have. But during this shooting sequence, the two ships were tied together, right, so that they wouldn't drift too far apart. Yeah, because they're uh, really just built on barges. They're not actual right. ships. So, unfortunately, no one told the ships they weren't supposed to drift too far apart. <laughs> and they did. Oops. And the ropes started, I mean, Johnny Depp and, and Gorbavinsky tell this story, like, that you can hear the ropes, and you started to hear the, the, the twang and hear the creaking of the ropes pulling apart. That's not good. No, and so Johnny Depp is standing at the wheel of the Interceptor, and one of the belay pins on the Dauntless snapped, and it hit him in the knee. So, not not to get gruesome or anything, but if it had hit him higher, it would have killed him. So, if you watch the movie, you'll see there's a shot where the soldiers start to fire at the Interceptor, and you see Jack Sparrow just fall down, basically. And it's assumed because they're shooting at him. No, that's actually the shot of him getting hit in the knee and collapsing. That's <laughs> cool that so, they kept it in there, though. Well, yeah, it's why it's on film, right? Right. Yeah. And so the next, the next shot, um, if you recall, the next, the next sequence is the sequence of. Uh, him explaining to Will about his father, that he knew that his father was bootstrap Bill Turner, who was one of the crewmen of the Black Pearl. And if you'll notice, Johnny Depp does not move much in this scene. It's because he can't. Because Gore asked him if he could keep shooting, and basically the answer was, as long as I don't have to move. Huh. So if you watch the movie, Will Turner does all the movements because he walks up to Jack while Jack is standing there on the, you know, holding the wheel and all this sort of thing. Um, there's bits of it that they reshot where Jack kind of moves in and hands him the sword and stuff like that. But the original sequence, he basically did not move the entire time. He just held his hands on the wheel. That's kind of cool. I got an acting job. 
Yeah, right before that is one of my favorite lines when Norrington said, you know, he's got to be one of the worst pirates ever. And then after, you know, Jack gets them to basically start up the interceptor and bring it out to him and hand deliver it, all ready to sail off. And then uh, I forget the name of the second in command, uh, but he said, you know, that has got to be one of the best pirates I've ever seen. Yes. Right. Well, he first he does worse, then he does best. Yeah. Right. That's 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 the that's what makes the second line so funny in perfect. Yeah, because, because Norrington says it, and then he says it, and then yeah. Yeah. Well, because they steal. What happens is they steal the Dauntless, and that's when he says the worst line because the interceptor is faster than the Dauntless. Well, they're not even able to like set sail. They're just pretending when they're on the Dauntless because you can't start. You know, everything you have to do, it takes more than two people. So if you watch them, like, Will is just, like, grabbing on ropes and, like, flapping them around just to make it look like they're trying to do something and making them look inept when, in reality, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Which is why Jack Sparrow's awesome. Yep. And the best pirate ever. And, and his other best line where he goes, you're forgetting one thing. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Absolutely. <laughs> his, his lack of hubris is probably one of his best uh, things that makes him so great, to be yeah. honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this, and that's when we, you know, like we said, we're on, they're on the ship and they, and they learn that, um, you know, Will learns a little bit of the story. Uh, and they end up heading to Tortuga to pick up Gibbs and a crew to start uh, trying to track down the Black Pearl. Uh, and this is where get, we get a little bit more of the backstory. It's it's a great there's a great mystery going on throughout this first part of the film as to what's going on with the Black Pearl, what's going on with you know Jack and and the crew, and what's going on with Will. Like there's a whole mystery that unfolds throughout the film, which I really really enjoyed. And so we learn yeah, in Tortuga. And in Tortuga, this is where you get a lot of the scenes that Cheryl, you would know from the from the attraction. You're going to get a lot of those, you know, nods to it coming up here in Tortuga with a lot of those great scenes. Yeah. Well, this goes okay. to what I was saying earlier with that that thing with the um, the um, Jolly Mon that he steals is uh, he mm -hmm. sees the two girls that are in that short. And they both slap him. And it, yeah, I love how Scarlett one time, yeah, right. I love how one time he goes, "I don't think I deserved that." And the other one, he goes, "I deserved that." Yep. <laughs> yes. And like Gibbs is the guy sleeping with the pigs in the mud with the bottle of rum, and they've got. Um, I don't remember if it's in the actual scene or if it's in one of the deleted scenes, but like the mayor of Tortuga, the guy who's supposed to be Carlos from the ride, you know, being dunked into the well and stuff like that. So you've got some, some cool little nods to it in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. It would... Yeah, and they, they actually had to shut down production for a certain amount of time because they couldn't get the pigs to go to sleep. <laughs> really? I didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing I've heard. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> That's, That's literally the weirdest thing I've heard this podcast. By pigs. <laughs> Yeah, no, they they uh they tried to get there, you know, because the the scene in the ride is that the pigs are sleeping and the guy is sitting there with them, right? Um, and so they went to shoot the pigs 
early early in the evening, like you know, after right after the sun had gone down, and the pigs would not go to sleep. So they literally had to leave the pigs, go shoot other tortuga scenes, like the bar scene, uh, which, by the way, is completely lit by candles. There's no any there's no film lighting in that scene, which I thought was kind of cool. That is, uh, that is cool. But then they had to come back to shoot the pigs like really late at night because otherwise they wouldn't go to sleep. <laughs> That's funny. That yeah, is. I mean, this this movie, I mean, like it's a miracle that it actually ended up being like being finished, let alone being hugely successful. Um, yeah, but that's, that we learned that part, and then we get the full story, right? Because we go to Barbosa's ship, uh, the Black Pearl, and Elizabeth and Barbosa have a whole conversation that lays out the story of the curse. So it's important to say that the subtitle, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the Black Pearl has no curse. It's like the worst subtitle ever. Yeah, it's just the crew of the Black Pearl that is cursed. Yeah. It should be like the curse of the 882 pieces of Aztec gold from Cortez, but that's a long subtitle. It's very true. Very, very true. But so the, the, the way the curse works is that Barbosa explains that they found this chest on the Isla de Muerta uh, full of Aztec gold from Cortez. And so they, they took the gold and they went out and they spent it all on pleasurable company, as he says, uh, and, and alcohol and, and all kinds of things. And once they found out then they found out that, you know, the goal, once they had done that, they were cursed and they, they couldn't feel the spray of the sea. And they couldn't, you know, there was not enough wine or food for them to, to satisfy their hunger or their thirst. And as we eventually get revealed, it turns out that they have been turned into skeletons. So the way that it works is when they're in the moonlight, they are actual immortal skeletons. Uh, when they're not in the moonlight, they are still flesh and blood because we see that when Elizabeth stabs Barbosa trying to get away, there's blood on the knife. So they're still flesh and blood when they're not in the moonlight. It's just they don't have to breathe. They don't have to eat. They don't have to do any of those other things. Uh, but when they're in the moonlight, they turn to skeletons, which is what they basically really are. I liked how they set this up kind of back in the – jail scene with Jack where, you know, the two guys from the the Black Pearl came in and found him still in jail. So you see that, and that was like a little over half an hour in, and that's when, like, they reach into the jail cell, and you can see, and he's like, oh, so the curse is real. It's almost another half hour before you see it come in, you know, to full light with the moonlight and everything. And I just thought it was cool how you had that little teaser of it back a while and then you really get the effect here. Right. I also like how uh, Barbosa has the green apple the whole time where he's, he's like, this is, when I fix this, this is going to be the first thing that I eat. Because that's, that's another side effect of the curse is they can't appreciate anything about living. Yeah, because like the food turns to, what do you say, turns to ash in their mouth. Right, they, right. So they can't taste anything. They can't drink anything. Uh, they can't keep their stomachs full. There's all all this stuff is kind of sort of mentioned. So it's it's just very weird. But um, did did you know that there's a lawsuit about this, right? Yes, please. Okay. Well, it, details. What I learned was I thought the lawsuit was done a few years ago, but apparently back in May the guy uh, found cause to reopen the suit. Was so that's May of this thing? year. 
Yeah, so there's, a, there's an author of Supernatural stuff. His name is uh, Royce Matthew. And he sued Disney, Buena Vista Pictures, Bruckheimer, Verbinski. Anyone um, in the phone book sounds like. No, anyone who, who um, operated the movie, not any of the actors, because the actors are never responsible for that level of stuff. Um, and basically, it's, he, uh, because he had a uh, short story, I think, where, a, where the people turned into zombies when they were struck with moonlight. And he said that he had actually given that to Disney, and they incorporated it into the movie when Disney says, hey, you know what? No, we had this idea. We've always had this idea, and here's some stuff about it. So apparently he's now just in this past May reopened this lawsuit. People, this is why you don't send your unsolicited ideas without having proof, like mm-hmm. a picture or something. This is why people they when they tell you don't send them unsolicited ideas. Yeah. Two, if you do do go against your thing, have some proof, people. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and because it, it's really hard, kind of hard to be. Proven a core law, and three. Who knows? Maybe it was improvised. I hate to. I know you said the actors weren't named, but I mean, and with all the actors doing improvisations, this stuff. Maybe that someone thought about it, like tried up thought about it, and and some and something else ended up happening. And who knows who was idea he stole then? You know, and, and it was maybe an improv scene. I, I also don't think this guy came up with this first. I'm pretty sure that I have read plenty of older short stories because I'm a big avid short story reader that uh, include this concept as well. So I don't think this is an original concept by this guy who's got this lawsuit. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But yes, so we, we, we get the full story there, and that's really like the scariest sequence of the film. Uh, because we go, we flash back then, it, it, it's nice the way that they undercut the tone or you know kind of keep it light because we flash over to to Jack on the dock uh, with the quote unquote crew that they've assembled to crew the interceptor to go and find everyone, uh, including Anna Maria who we mentioned Zoe Saldana, who who's our somewhat Avengers connection. She's in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? True, true. It's close uh, as Anna Maria. And that was, again, who Jack's boat that Jack sank, and he promises to give her the Interceptor if uh, they can go and find the Black Pearl. Because Jack's whole thing in this whole movie is that he wants the Black Pearl back. Yeah, because Jack's whole thing in this is that he wants the Black Pearl back, and we don't really get it revealed wholeheartedly in the movie, the entire backstory of the Black Pearl. Um, it's just that he used to be the captain of it, and as they are sailing to Isla de Muerta, Gibbs reveals to Will the whole backstory. So uh, they're sailing to Isla de Muerta and, you know, they go through a storm and then they go through sort of the shallows of Isla de Muerta after the Black Pearl has already gotten there. And this sequence came in because Disney insisted that they explain why Jack Sparrow was the way he was. Simultaneous to that, on set, Orlando Bloom had started doing impressions of Johnny Depp's, you know, crazy Jack Sparrow swagger and had the crew in stitches when he did it. So Gore Verbinski and the writers basically came up with this scene between Gibbs and Will to explain why Jack was the way he was to let Orlando Bloom do his Johnny Depp impression in the movie and to basically then completely undercut the explanation they give for why 
Jack is the way he is, so that they really didn't explain it at all. Okay. You so have to they, see the scene to understand it. Yeah. <laughs> it but, makes a whole but, lot more sense if you've seen it. Yeah, because uh, Gibbs tells this crazy story about him, right, where he braided his own hair and used it to lasso sea turtles, which he rode off the island, right? Yes. Yeah, he, the, the whole idea is that, you know, the, the basic backstory is that Jack was the captain of the Black Pearl, Barbosa mutinied, and stranded him on a desert island. And when that happens, the, the pirates give them a pistol with one shot so that he can shoot himself rather than die of starvation. Uh, and so the, the story is that Jack made a raft out of sea turtles. He wandered into the shallows. The sea turtles became accustomed to him until he could rope them together and ride them off of the island like a raft. And Will asks, well, where did he get the rope? And Jack is standing right there, and he says, hair from my back. So immediately basically saying, none of what you just heard was true. <laughs> and that was the writers and everyone else's way of saying – it doesn't matter why Jack is the way he is. He just is that way. He's sort of a force of nature. And deal. Exactly. Uh, it, it works beautifully. I mean, it's, it's really well done. Yeah, the real explanation, by the way, if, you, if, you're, if you're all that interested, and the way they set the backstory up, they don't even really explain the entire thing in uh, the, the two sequels. But if you read some of the tie-in novels or some of the things that the, um, the writers say in the commentaries for the last two movies, the basic backstory of Jack and Barbosa is 13 years before this movie, uh, Jack was given a ship called the Wicked Wench, which would be familiar to those of you who ride the ride. And Jack had the Wicked Wench, and he was given that ship by Cutler Beckett, the villain in the last two movies. And he was supposed to serve as a slave trader for Beckett, who was the head of the East India Trading Company. Jack dumped the slaves and set them free, uh, and Beckett tried to take the ship away and sink it. Uh, Jack made the deal with Davy Jones to bring the ship back from the deep ten years ago. So it was three years in between, but he made the deal to bring the ship back. The ship was brought back as the Black Pearl, and he was the captain of the ship for... Uh, about a year, he picked up Barbosa in Tortuga, Barbosa mutinied, and so at the point that we have reached in Curse of the Black Pearl, it's been almost nine years since Jack was uh, abandoned on the, the island and left on the way to Isla de Muerta. So that's, that's right. The, that's the whole backstory. Which is why Barbosa is very shocked because he hasn't. According to the canon of the films, he has not seen him in nine years. You know, and some of the tie-ins and things like that, they intimate that they have seen each other in between, but that would completely contradict the film. So, I ignore that stuff. <laughs> well, maybe he was, he was having nightmares. There you go. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Hey, yes. What, what, you, what, you, that's what you get from Muni. <laughs> That's right. Guilty conscience. But again, like under the idea of, of subverting expectations, there's this whole scene at the beginning of the movie when Jack's getting captured where they take out his compass and the compass doesn't work and they take out the pistol and it only has one shot. 
Uh, and Norrington some comments on that, and you know, his sword is normal. He says, well, I expected it to be made of wood, and that's why he thinks he's a bad pirate. But the whole idea is, no, Jack's a really good pirate because the compass doesn't point north. It points the way to Isla de Muerta, which is where the treasure is that he wants. And you know, the pistol only has one shot because he's saving it to kill Barbosa. You know, it's again, it's all about taking those conventions of the pirate genre and and twisting them on their head a little bit. Hmm. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah, there is a lot of subtlety and depth in this movie and some of the later movies and and the other two movies, which is why I think I like the other two movies a little better, just because there's things being played on in those movies that are not, you know, that you don't see on the first watching. There's definitely a lot of depth to them. That's why it's my favorite. There's also a lot of depth to them. Sorry. Hey. Sure, uh, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> so in in Ilo de Marta, uh, you know, they have Elizabeth and Barbosa is uh, trying to go through the ritual to return the final piece of gold to the chest, which would lift the curse. And so he cuts her hand and tries to spill some blood onto the coin, turn it to the chest, but it doesn't work, obviously, because she is not the blood of Bootstrap Bill Turner. Um, Jack and Will are observing all of this, but again, one thing to notice is you know Will knocks Jack out to try and because uh, he knows Jack is going to basically turn him over to try and get the Black Pearl back, and Will knocks Jack out to try and go save Elizabeth, but he's too late. Like he doesn't save Elizabeth if if Barbosa acts like a normal pirate and kills her, or like a normal movie villain, he would have been too late. Okay. Yeah. I... <laughs> Works for me. So, Will, that's the thing is like, Will is supposed to be the hero of the story, but he's constantly, you know, he's constantly either missing things or making mistakes. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like he's just a step behind. He definitely is. Uh, but he and Elizabeth managed to escape and get back to the Black Pearl, leaving Jack behind uh, to do. If you've seen the deleted scenes on on any of the collector's DVDs, and it sounds like Betsy, you have it. Yeah, they, definitely. They shoot, they shoot this scene where uh, Jack is stumbling around because he's just been hit in the head by an oar, and he tries to invoke parlay yeah. with, with the pirates so that he can talk to Barbosa. And they, Gore and Rubinsky got distracted and didn't call cut. So he is improvising with Mackenzie Crook, who plays... Uh, who plays Pintel, Rigetti. or Rigetti, and, and Lee Ehrenberg is Pintel. So the two of them, the, the three of them, rather, are improvising in the scene that's on the, that they ended up cutting it short, but it goes on for like five minutes where they're talking about, uh, he's, he's, tr- he's trying to come up with the word parlay, and he keeps saying like parsley, parsnip, and, you know. Partner, and polluty, <laughs> and makes up all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they finally give him the word parlay, and, you know, the other pirate, you know, Rigetti curses him because, you know, he'd already been through this with Elizabeth. And he says, curse the one who came up with parlay. And John and Jack Sparrow said that would be the French. That's where the scene ends in the movie. But it goes on for like three more minutes. And they're talking, talking about, about mayonnaise and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because Rubinsky forgot to say cut. And That's so they're funny. improvising like crazy. And it's really funny. Yeah. Definitely, if you get a chance, if you haven't seen, like, I haven't seen all of them. I've seen the majority of, like, 
I've seen all the deleted scenes. The bloopers are hilarious. You know, all of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, I haven't done all the audio commentaries, which like there's over on the two disc collection I have, it's over 10 hours of stuff. So it's like, you have to watch the movie four times through, which I'm inclined to do. Um, but one of the ones then Cheryl, you'll appreciate this. If you have the two disc collector's edition, one of the things on there is, um, from the Disneyland wonderful world of color show. There is an episode where they take stuff from 1968. So after, New Orleans Square was finished and Pirates Open. And then they also have stuff from a previous episode, I want to say that it was from like 65, where it has Walt going through with one of his um, ambassadors talking about, you know, how they're going to be setting up the ride and the audio animatronics. And it's really cool. And through that, it's about, I want to say like a 15, 20-minute segment between those two. It goes through almost the entire... Uh, Disneyland Pirates original attraction. So it's really cool that you can see, you know, all that stuff and how it correlates to what's in the movie, but even just seeing the history of the attraction is neat. Definitely. Yeah. It's kind of cool when you when you think about that because th- not only was this ride inspired by the movie, but they went back and put elements of this I mean, sorry. In other words, the movie inspired by the ride. Like that, they, went back, that, yeah. <laughs> went back, they went back and put elements of the movie in the ride. Yes. Yeah, after Dead Man's Chest, in, it was like 2006, 2007, they went in the summer and added in the elements. And, and I think they work well. You know, It was cool going back and seeing, and I forgot you know, some of the original. Like I knew the, originally the pirates chased the ladies instead of the way it is you know, now, more a little bit more PC doing it the other way, but... Like, I forgot one of the ladies was in the barrel where Captain Jack is in, in the one scene, like, when you come around from Tortuga into, like, where the fire part starts. And I had forgotten that the, that it was a lady in the, you know, in that one barrel. So it was kind of cool seeing that again. It depends upon your day, Patsy, by the way, because sometimes those parts don't exactly work the right way. <laughs> in Florida, I was say in Florida, they don't always work the right way. So sometimes they're not even moving. Sometimes they're not even chasing. It's, it's. I haven't seen them not working in a while. Like my biggest thing that I noticed for quite some time was Hat Guy when he was missing his hats, and that always bothered me. I'm like, it's just a pile of hats. Put them on the guy, you know. But um, it's gonna be interesting going back to seeing. Because we're going to Disneyland. Disneyland. I can't wait to go back. We're all going within the next, what, four or five months here. You guys are going in a few weeks. Yes. So we have the parlay between Jack and Barbosa. Jack basically tells Barbosa, you know, I know whose blood you need. Uh, the, the idea being that Jack wants to get onto the Black Pearl so that he can somehow figure out a way. Again, Jack always thinking things will work out for him. Uh, he will somehow figure out a way to barter the information of uh, Will's identity to Barbosa in exchange for the ship uh, and letting Barbosa figure out himself how to get back to Isla de Muerta. Uh, unfortunately for Jack, they catch up to the Interceptor in the Black Pearl, and we have the epic sea battle between the two where everyone gets captured uh, except for Elizabeth, or except for Will, rather. Uh, they blow up the Interceptor, and Will turns up and, as Jack says, does something rather stupid, which is threatened to shoot himself since he's figured out that they need his blood to lift the curse. And he negotiates for Elizabeth to go free as well as the crew, or the crew not to be harmed, rather. He negotiates those two terms. 
he does not negotiate anything for Jack, despite Jack's wild gesticulations. Because uh, he basically doesn't trust Jack. And Barbosa, being a man of his word, keeps his word, lets Elizabeth go free. Uh, unfortunately, his idea of letting Elizabeth go free is to strand Jack and Elizabeth on the same island they stranded Jack on many, many moons ago. So he lets her go free, but she's probably going to die on that island. So, uh, And the crew are not harmed, uh, but they are imprisoned in the Black Pearl, So, along with Will. So Will, again, not being the shrewdest of negotiators. Yeah, so the lesson is whenever you're negotiating with a pirate, be very, very, very specific in your terms. Absolutely. Kind of like when making wishes. Yes. So here's where we get the, the real story of what happened on the island, uh, which is Jack goes over to a hidden cache in the island, which is used to be full of rum, the rum runners who ran the island. Uh, he was able to barter passage with them and get off the island. He was there for three days sitting on the beach drinking rum because he's Jack Sparrow. So it's no wonder that he thinks that, you know, things are going to turn out all right for him. He's a little disappointed this time around that there's not as much rum left. So they're probably not coming back and that he and Elizabeth are stuck. Uh, he decides to make the best of it, though, by drinking a lot of rum. And she's a little disappointed that the legend, you know, of Captain Jack Sparrow isn't quite living up to what her expectations were. She's like, you spent three days lying on the beach drinking rum. He's like, welcome to the Caribbean, love. <laughs> I'm like, well, it doesn't sound so horrible now, but I wouldn't necessarily want to be stranded there. It, it's interesting, too, because um... – up until this point, there's a lot of mysticism, and you'd really think that maybe perhaps there's something magical about Jack that we haven't figured out yet. But in fact, no, he's the most normal person around, actually, is the strangest thing about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's like we've been saying, like, he's the guy who stuff just works out, you know? Like, it all just works out. And it happens again, because Elizabeth takes all the rum and, and burns it and sends up, you know, the smoke signals because the, the Royal Navy is out looking for her having been captured. And so they go investigate and find her and Norrington picks her up. And I mean, it works out for Jack because he gets picked up off the Island too. Yeah. And this is when we get the famous, why is the rum gone that I may or may not have as my text notification on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> But the 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 entire uh, motivation of Jack Sparrow and one of my, and one of the reasons why he's my favorite character uh, in all of Disneydom is is done on the island. So two things: there's that, uh, which is when they're sitting there at the fire the night before they get picked up, he's talking about the Black Pearl and why he wants it so much, and that is because the Black Pearl, a ship, is not you know just a sails or a rudder. A ship is freedom, right? It's his ability to take that ship and go wherever he wants and not be tied down. And that's one of the things I really love about Jack Sparrow. Uh, but the other thing to note about the island is that this was the first time that he and Kira Knightley shot a scene together. And the chemistry that they have is unbelievable for that. Yeah, that's very cool. And I wish they had kept one of the deleted scenes here. I wish they had kept was with the two of them sitting on the beach and she was talking about how she knew 
she was I think she started singing like part of Yoho, A Pirate's Life for Me, and she is the one who actually introduces him to the song, which makes more sense having that included because when they're the night before she burns all the rum, they're drinking and dancing around the fire that they've made and she's teaching it to him, but you don't realize he's never heard it before. And he's like, I love this song. And, you know, I like that moment between them where they're sitting on the beach, and I wish they had kind of kept that scene because she's introducing that to him. And that's not 100% clear, you know, without that deleted scene. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But it still it still it still works as a great piece of it this. It still works, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it works. But I like it. Like very rarely do I think, oh, they really should have kept that scene. This is one where I kind of wish they had. Um, also because you know it's him being you know trying to bring her down in debauchery, and she's like, I've not had enough room for that to happen. And he's like, Well, how much room would it take? And you know, hands her two <laughs> bottles, and it's kind of funny scene, anyways. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, they they managed to get off the the island, and uh, you know she accepts Norrington's proposal with the caveat that he will go and rescue Will and stop the pirates, which he which he agrees to do. Uh, and and Jack manages to give them tips and things as to how they need to do it, all of which are in service to himself, of course. So they met, they head to Isla de Muerta. The pirates are inside getting ready to kill Will and lift the curse. And Jack convinces Norrington that what they need to do is send him in, and he will convince Barbosa to send all of the pirates out. And they will then ambush all the pirates. They'll be able to, you know, then they'll be able to sail back away, taking the Black Pearl with them, and, and you know, all will be well. What Norrington doesn't realize at this point is that the pirates are cursed and that they can't be killed. Elizabeth realizes this, and Jack, of course, makes the provision that, oh, well, you better put her away because, you know, you don't want things getting rough and her getting attacked. So Jack, with a big smile on his face, goes inside and negotiates that exact thing. Um, Hey, Barbosa, you know, if you'll send the pirates out now before you lift the curse, you know, you can you can take the Dauntless and you can be the Commodore. You can give me the Black Pearl and you can run the Dauntless and we'll have the best pirate fleet in the in the Caribbean. But you have to pay close attention during this scene because there's a lot of subtext going on that's not written in the script because Jack steals the coin from the chest. And, they, and if they, you're not paying attention to Will noticing that, some stuff doesn't make sense. Yes, because Will says you've been planning this from the beginning, and Jack says, yeah, like, because he basically, Jack, in his words, says, you know, you, Will, will be, uh, you know, you can kill the whelp, basically, right? Telling Barbosa, you can kill Will Turner. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, but wait until the opportune moment which is something he had said to Will earlier. So, in other words, Will has picked up on, oh, Jack took a coin from the chest, and now he can't be killed. He's getting Barbosa to send all the pirates out so that there's nobody in there to fight them, and that they can, at a certain point, turn the tables on Barbosa and take everything back, which is exactly what happens, of course. Uh, they go out, the pirates go out, they start a big fight on the Dauntless, uh, start killing people left and right, 
and we have the, a big duel in the caves between Jack, who is now a cursed pirate, and Barbosa, who's a cursed pirate, and Will and Elizabeth, who escapes the ship and sneaks into the cave, fighting off the other pirates while Jack finishes things up. And at the very last moment, Will slits his own hand, gets blood on the coin, drops it into the chest, just as Jack shoots Barbosa, uh, thus ending the threat. Dun dun. Which is a very quick way to describe an awesome scene. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the CGI. I know it's CGI, but I love the scene when the pirates go for a walk underwater. I just love that scene when you see them kind of marching towards you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But yes, it is not over because what happens at that point is, you know, the Black Pearl realizing that, you know, the other pirates have been defeated. The crew that was on the Interceptor takes over the Black Pearl and takes that ship and sails away. So Jack had done this whole thing thinking that once the curse was lifted, he could go and reclaim the captainship of the Black Pearl and sail away. Unfortunately for him, not so much. So he's captured by Norrington, and the next scene is he is set to hang. Uh, but Elizabeth and Will this time concoct a plan to save him, with Elizabeth pretending to faint. Will, clearing the crowd, throws a sword to keep Jack from falling down once the, the noose has been dropped. And the two of them manage to escape almost uh, until they get to the very end. And Jack and, and Will are about to fight off the Royal Navy, but the governor kind of whispers into Norrington's ear and says, you know, you should, you should let Will go for sure. Uh, Jack, meanwhile, jumps off the cliff or tries to jump, I should say, uh, falls in a very similar fashion to Elizabeth at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. and ends up swimming out to sea because we saw one of the crew's parrot in the fort earlier, and he realizes the Black Pearl had come back for him. Uh, and Will and Elizabeth kiss, and she decides that, or Norrington decides to let her go. It, it's all a happy ending as Will and Elizabeth end up together, and the last scene of the movie is Jack on the, on the ship uh, with his compass, and then they are getting ready to sail away, and he sings the first lines of A Pirate's Life for Me. And actually, the last line in the movie is not that. It's Bring Me That Horizon, which is the name of, of the, the book about the making of the movie. Actually, after that, he says, Drink Up Me Hardy's Yo-Ho, and that's the absolute last one. Oh, you're right. Good point. And it's Until awesome. the post-credit sequence, which there's no dialogue during. Correct, which is the monkey that we didn't talk about named Jack, that Barbosa named Jack, who takes a coin from the chest and is therefore cursed. And he shows up in all the sequels. Yep. And the movie is amazing and fabulous, and you all probably know that already. <laughs> Except Cheryl, who needs to go and watch it. Yes, she does. But she, I don't want her to get scared, though. I mean, there is some scary stuff. Have Todd hold your hand. Watch it in daylight. You're not afraid of monkeys, right? Are they dressed? Um, <laughs> yes. Do you throw yes, stuff at yes. TVs? He, he has. He no. It is not from the Barefoot Executive. <laughs> it is not like that. It is not as scary as that. Even. I'm glad I caught that. Um, <laughs> he he does have clothes part at a time. I think. 
Yeah, most of it, actually. Yeah, I think he has clothes on most of the time. Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about was the music, the score. Um, the score is credited to Klaus Badelt. Uh, Verbinski, who is a composer himself, also worked on the score. Hans Zimmer was supposed to do a lot of the score. Um, he ended up not being able to do uh, as much, but they had it. Like basically, they were they would sit in a room, and because they didn't have enough time to get the to get everything done, they had 15 composers. So Zimmer and Bedell would basically say, all right, here's the key theme, go. And they would go and score that part of the movie. They had people working consecutively. So it's amazing that the score flows together as well as it was. But it was basically Zimmer and Bedell coming up with the main themes and then just giving it to other people to say, all right, now just build something around it based on this theme. And it is one of my favorite scores. I have it on my running mix. I have it as a ringtone on my phone. I mean, I have a whole... CD that's just like the Pirates theme reworked on top of all four soundtracks. And I love that they've incorporated it into the parks, like in Walt Disney World and Adventureland. You can hear like Jack's theme where it's kind of like him sneaking around and and all that. And you can hear the, you know, the string section. And and I just absolutely love the score. Yeah. And and, I mean, that's, that's the kind of movie this was. I mean, there were all kinds of things that just came down to the minute. I mean, Gore Verbinski talks about on one of the commentaries, the opening shot is a composite of about 12 different things. And he said it wasn't, it wasn't finished until two days before the release date. Wow. I mean, that's, that's just the way that he worked is he had all this stuff put together. Uh, and, and the majority, there's a lot of CGI, but there's also a lot of practical shots. I mean, none of the boat stuff is CGI. All the boats are actual real boats. Um, if you recall us talking about Lone Ranger, he insisted on building trains. I mean, it's just kind of the way the guy goes. So this, this movie had a lot, a lot to work against it, and it ended up turning out really, really great. So, uh, all right, let's rate this. Ty, I'm going to let you go first because I think everybody knows what Betsy and I are going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's not a problem. I just want to clear one thing up before I give my rating because I think this movie kind of uh, confuses the issue, and I just want to clear it up for pop culture purposes. Okay. Yes, there are two types of pirate flags in this movie. They are both not the Jolly Roger. Correct. Okay. The movie really confuses that fact, so it really bothers me about the movie. <laughs> Probably one of the major things that bothers me about the movie. I don't know why. The Jolly Roger is a skull and crossbones. The Calico Jack is a skull and blades or swords, and you see both in the movie. But there's like places where they just don't call it the right thing. The Calico Jack is the one they mess up. Jolly Roger, they get. Gotcha. I'm just felt the need to say that that's the thing I, I appreciate that about you <laughs> and with that um i just wanted to uh yeah for me I, you're right i don't love this movie as much as you guys do but i do love this movie it's just like you know talking to you two about it is like uh listening to me talk about any superhero <laughs> <laughs> okay uh and so i get it i get you know i get that level of love that you guys have for it but it's it, i don't feel the need to see it all the time Right, like I like going into this podcast. I didn't watch it, but you know, like I'd seen it like four months ago, so I figure it's fresh enough in my mind. You know, it's not like I'm pulling something out of the hat. You know, and I've seen it like, you know, seven, six, seven times at this point. So, and I know that like Ryan's seen it like twenty-seven times, but that's a different thing. <laughs> About that, yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was actually looking back to history because you actually did this uh, tweet watch. I think it's actually you're literally the last tweet watch you did, right? Uh, I did all three pirates films. Yes, going into the fourth one. Yeah, and that was the last time I had the time to do. Oh, I, miss, <laughs> I miss tweet watches. But uh, and and so you know, I say I say so you know, I Ryan's uh love of this is always shown for me. Betsy's love of this is always shown for me. But for me, I it's it's just a four for me. It's not. It's good. It's it's fun. It's adventurous. Um, it's just not got that stellar quality to me personally. That's all. It's still a four. So. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad rating. I said no. that before. Absolutely well, people, not. People think two and a half is a bad rating, and two and a half is a great rating for most movies. So, <laughs> especially the way they're made these days. Yes. <laughs> all right, uh, Betsy. All right, so let's see. I, you know, it's my ringtone on my phone. Uh, Lego Captain Jack Sparrow on my keychain. I have it on my iPod, iPhone, laptop, DVD, Blu-ray. <laughs> um, soundtracks on my phone. I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty clear. Um, even like my status on Skype and my I am at work is. Uh, a quote from this movie. So yeah, I'm gonna give it a five. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I mean, if you want to hold back on your affection, that's fine. You know. Uh... Yeah. No, I'm with you. It, uh, Jack Sparrow is my favorite. When people ask me who my favorite character is, uh, and I say Jack Sparrow, they kind of look at me funny because they think they're expecting like Mickey and Goofy, and and I'm like, no. No, it's Jack Sparrow. He's my favorite. Uh, yeah, and, and Johnny Depp is my favorite actor uh, and, and was not before this movie came out. So, like, when this movie came out, from the time it came out in theaters until the time the DVD came out, I think I watched all of his back catalog except for about three movies uh, and really enjoyed all of them. Uh, it, this, this was the movie that really opened me up to his, his acting ability. Uh, and it, as a movie, this is the kind of movie I want Hollywood to make. I want them to make movies that are fun, adventurous, that you know take you on a journey that you don't know what's coming next. There's kinds of there's twists, there's turns, there's you know there's fun stuff throughout it. Um, the, the only movie that really since since this one um, that I have felt as strongly about was Avengers. So other than those two. You know, every other movie has to try to live up to that, which is which is difficult to do. So, this is a five for me. It's it, again, it's my, it's probably my favorite film of all time, just because. I mean, I, I like I said, I watched it. I watched the two two commentaries and then the film itself on Friday, uh, and watched. So I watched it three times, and I kind of now want to go watch it again. <laughs> yeah, this is it, definitely one where if it's on TV, like I mean, you know, Brian, I was watching. At World's End last night, I mean, it's one of those things, it's on TV, I'm going to flip it on, I've got them all, but I don't ever, tired, even as I mentioned, you know, the third one is not my favorite, it's a little clunky in places, but I mean, I'm still going to watch it over, you know, anything else, um, you know, it, it. I just don't tire of it, they're just so entertaining and engaging, um, and I love the action comedy adventure genre if i had to you know pick a favorite that would be it yep totally agree 
All right. And so, Cheryl, you're going to give this a one and a half, right? Am I going to be fair? <laughs> I appreciate you not rating that, something you, you haven't know, seen. Um, I agree. That, you know, sometimes things are too scary for people and that we all have different tastes in life and... I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm a scaredy cat, guys. And hopefully, no, hopefully people can under- understand that, you know, I can, you know, <laughs> Todd was the strongest. I was watching a certain reality show last night. It was like, but I was watching it under the concept I knew the whole thing, the whole show was fake. So maybe, you know, maybe I can go and watch it something with the concept that I know it's all fake. I know it's all not real, but not giving horrible nightmares, but. I may be getting there to that point. I don't know. But like I said, it's something that, you know, I, National Treasure is like right on my line. So, and that's not really that scary, folks. So, Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Everybody's got different tastes. So, yeah, there's no, no reason why uh, anyone would, would hold it against you for not, for not seeing this one. But uh, it's my favorite. So... At some point, I want to I want to hear what you think of it if you if you do get to it. All right, but that's going to do it for this week's show, folks. So we want to thank Betsy for joining us to talk about our favorite movies. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you for having me back. It's always fun. So uh, if you guys agree with us that this is the greatest movie, or or me and Betsy, then you should let us know. Tweet us at Diz Film Project or go on to Facebook, Disney Film Project, or you can head over to the website and leave a comment there at the show notes, DisneyFilmProject.com. All right, so uh, until next week, folks, when we'll be back talking about another great Disney picture, we will see you soon. I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. means no. This compass doesn't point north, but we're not trying to find north, are we? The only rules that matter are these. What a man can do and what a man can't do. Tell you what, will penalize me. I don't get quotes. There you go. There Flagrant go. false I advertising. I haven't, haven't seen the movie. movie. So I don't get quotes. <laughs> there we go. Special man in the black of us.